All right, guys, we are live today at the Fredrickson Health Solutions podcast slash video series. We're going to be interviewing healthcare practitioners with an interest in health optimizations, anywhere from sports performance, injury prevention, healing from a chronic disease, helping with to uh, total overall health. We're going to dive into. So if you're interested in this, let us know. Today, we have a very exciting guest. We have Dr. Frank Bodner from The Nutrient Fix. And we're going to go ahead and just let Frank describe his background, his bio. And we're going to talk a lot about stress and anxiety. And I think it's kind of a great topic with everything going on today. So, Dr. Frank, thanks for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me, uh, Dr. Fredrickson. Uh, so, this is exciting. I love talking about stress, you know, a little bit of background on myself. Um, you know, I, I graduated from chiropractic school back in 2010. Um, after that, I pursued my master's in nutrition uh, from the University of Bridgeport. And, you know, from that point on, really started to help the practices that I was working with uh, implement nutrition, whether it was consultations, group classes, um, you know, got involved with CrossFit as well and started to do um, some nutrition challenges on that front. So, um, you know, on the nutrition side, I would say um, I've kind of seen a lot of aspects from the clinical side to helping athletes, um, you know, but talk about stress and the importance of nutrition. It's just, it's an endless topic and it's super relevant, but also super exciting to uh, dig into because it's just, it's a never ending flow of new information and new findings. And it's just exciting to talk about. Right. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We've worked together for two and a half years now. It's something like that, you know, and yeah. you've always been a wealth of knowledge to me. Every time I have a question, you're, you're always spot on with the research. And um, yeah, I just think this topic is like we just talked about earlier. We probably should have recorded it, but you know, 60 to 70%, you know, of healthcare practitioners, especially chiropractors, you know, are out of business or they've lost a significant amount of patients. People are now homeschooling for the first time ever. I mean, <laughs> this hits home for, for my family. We're homeschooling a three-year-old with a newborn and we have no sleep. I mean, I'm barely working out cause I'm tired. I don't feel like it. I'm forcing myself, you know, just to do like 30 minutes a day. And, um, I, I just wanted to see like your thoughts. What do you think the long-term ramifications are going to be of all of this, you know, of this pandemic? Are, are we going to see lifetime, you know, cortisol surges and subsequent HP axis dysfunction from this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to take a toll. There's no doubt about it. And I think that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the COVID-19 situation and, and you know, maybe the second or third wave that's that's going to be coming through. And the one thing that I think has, you know, maybe ticked up or trended up a little bit in conversation has been stress and anxiety and, you know, quarantining and uh, being somewhat socially isolated, um, you know, has it, it's, it's going to take a toll. Uh, it's definitely going to take a toll and how long that takes for people to recover, I think is really going to depend on where they're currently at and what their health status was prior. So if right. they were stressed out prior, um, it's, it's going to take them a longer time to bounce back and recover. They're just not as resilient. If they're, you know, just went through a job loss or, you know, uh, if they did, you know, God forsake, lose somebody to COVID-19, you know, that major traumas can really, really influence uh, the central nervous system, cortisol output, uh, adrenaline output, and then our body's ability to bounce back and recover. So 
Um, you know, you talk about stressful situations. We're in a very similar situation with uh, two young kids at home, um, eight and 10 year old. They're somewhat self-sufficient, but, um, you know, they still need a lot of help and instruction and we can't just uh, send them on their way to get their schoolwork done. But yeah, it'll be, it will be interesting to see. And there's no doubt, I think we're beginning to, to recognize from a public health standpoint that the mental health aspect of this is, is going to be exponential. And I don't know if we can really put a metric on what that's going to look like yet, but we know it's coming. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, so there's no question on that front for sure. Right. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about this. I mean, everyone talks about being working from home is easy. And I'm like, I thought it was easy until I started doing it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm more stressed out than I've ever been, you know, and I have, you know, a more flexible schedule. So I thought, so, I mean, my working out's harder to do my sleeps harder to do, you know, my work, you know, it's definitely harder to do. And so I think it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see how this, you know, impacts us further along. But what you said about um, having a state of foundational health before this is key. And can you kind of dive into that and why some of these people are maybe having more chronically ill immune systems and what, you know, what you think the foundation of health, health and building these kind of foundational pieces is going to mean in the future? Yeah. So, I mean, foundational health really is where it all starts, right? So um, that's, that's sort of our rock bed to build anything off of when it comes to health. So if we want to, you know, lose weight, if we want to build muscle, if we want to build a stronger immune system or more robust cardiovascular system or be more resilient to avoid pain or bounce back from a condition that causes pain, um, it all starts with your body's ability to use what it has available, right? And when we're in a state of stress and when our body is in that fight or flight mode or on high alert, other things take priority. And, uh, you know, basically what happens is your body goes into survival mode, so to speak, and it will prioritize maybe the storage of certain nutrients or, um, you know, retention of you know, water or, you know, glucose or, you know, go into energy storage mode in anticipation of having to endure future stresses, right? So we talk, you know, you're, if you're, um, uh, you know, if you're coming up on a famine, so to speak, and you know that you're not going to have the ability to grow crops, uh, you know, the next two seasons, what you're going to do is not only grow as much as you can in that season, but you're going to want to, you know, build bigger barns to load up and maybe buy some extra from the surrounding farms to get ready for those droughts or those famines um, and have enough to feed your cattle and your family and everybody that you employ. Um, So your body does a similar thing. Like your body is, has the ability to adapt, has the ability to respond in a way that makes survival advantageous. Um, but in that same, you know, on the flip side, it's going to neglect other things. So other things start to take a back seat. And so some of those things may be um, immune function, like we said, like you, you kind of hinted at that. Um, so, you know, it may not prioritize a innate immune response. And what I mean by innate immune response for people that may be a little bit unaware is just the first line, uh, you know, first line defense that our body puts out to kill foreign invaders, to repair 
um, you know, barriers that may be damaged or not functioning properly, but it's not going to prioritize those functions um, as highly as just being in a state of survival. And then you could talk about, you know, all the mechanisms and signals involved in, adapt in the adaptive immune response too. But, um, you know, I, I don't have a study offhand to cite, but I would say that there's probably a high correlation between, or we could probably go to PubMed or Google and find a study that would show us there's a high correlation between stress and probably an autoimmune uh, disorder or response in the body. And there's a myriad of reasons and interconnections, um, you know, between that statement, but it makes a lot of sense when we think about kind of that survival and adaptation response that takes place and what our body begins to prioritize when we're under stress. Right. Right. So I mean, all, you know, that's amazing. And I think what you were trying to say is in some aspects is metabolic reserve and, you know, building, you know, these, you know, building a reserve for when something happens, you're able to fight off without depleting key nutrients, without depleting, you know, mucosa linings with, you know, keeping your defense systems intact and that fat, you know, that famine, you know, building those reserves. I thought that was a great analogy for that. And um, so have you read Dr. Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers? You know, I've actually read snippets. I've never sat down and read it uh, cover to cover. Um, I did actually get to hear him speak at an IFM conference. And, you know, he's obviously a brilliant guy, but he's got a great sense of humor as well. And, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I definitely feel free to share some insights on that because um, I think it's obviously extremely relevant. Right. Well, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but he, he just kind of goes into, you know, if we're a lion in the Serengeti and we're, or no, if we're an antelope and we're getting chased by a lion, you know, we're going to have a certain amount of stress hormones, right? And so we need to get our fight or, flash, fight or flight response needs to be activated quickly. And then as soon as that lion's not chasing us anymore, it needs to quickly die down. But would you say that we're kind of like the antelopes right now, we're getting chased by lions, whatever it may be, you know, stress, time constraints, sleep, and we don't have ways to shut down these, you know, acute responses to stress that go on for long term. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the weird thing about stress, and I think kind of the, you know, the conundrum that we find ourselves in is that, you know, we're, we're not being chased by a lion, right? We're not, we're not at risk of stepping outside our door and losing our life immediately, but perceived stress is extremely high for all of us. And so, you know, that can be, um, you know, just if we think about the economy, for a lot of us, that can be a stressor. If we think about risk of infection, for a lot of us, that can be a stressor. If we think about, um, for the extroverts out there, how long it's going to be before I can connect with, you know, my people again and have some face-to-face -face interaction and uh, get that that human connection that we need, that can be a huge point of stress for so many people. And our body responds the same way as if we are that antelope being chased by that lion. So it, even though, you know, we're, we're not going to lose our lives by looking or hearing a news story about the economy, we get that same increase in cortisol. We get that same release of, you know, adrenaline and we get this, we get the same physiological responses that occur in our body. And uh, we're seeing that on a regular basis. Like we can't, we can't get away from it right now. And that's part of the problem. We just can't right. get a break. And 
what we need to retain um, that metabolic reserve that you talked about and you know retain those stores in our bodies we need a break we need a period of rest and if we don't get that um, we don't have the ability to fully recover and I think it just compounds over time and that's when we start to see things like immune dysfunction and you know like you hinted at you know mucosal and barrier dysfunction in the gut and um, you know all these other all these other processes in the body that uh, start to take a back seat because we just we don't get that period of rest that we need right well man I think this is a perfect segue to uh, for anyone who's watching on video to kind of key in and um, go into the screen that you're sharing and so let's just, I would like for you to just kind of explain kind of the, the four key stressors you have on there. You've already described most of them. And, and I think people just need to understand that there are more than just, you know, you know, more, more than just anxiety. There's more, more than just sleep. You know, there's this compound effect to all of these different things. So could you just got, kind of, you know, outline those in, in your PowerPoint right through here and kind of go over the stress response and maybe go over some ways that we can start to relieve this? Yeah, absolutely. So the four key stressors is really four key categories that contribute to that stress response in our body. And so we, when we say the word stress, you and I were very familiar with this because we've studied this, we've been trained on it. Um, but when we talk about stress, we talk, we, what we really mean is activation of our HPA axis. And so it all starts in the brain and it starts with the hypothalamus. Then it go, we release a uh, hormone that signals to our um, uh, pituitary gland to then signal down to um, you know, our adrenal glands to release uh, stress hormones. So we're talking about glucocorticoids as in cortisol. And then we also, um, you know, we can talk about the adrenal uh, neurotransmitter side as well. And, uh, you know, the, the adrenaline neurotransmitters, but that is what we're talking about when we're talking about stress. And so, you know, when we talk about perceived stress, which is what, you know, most of us are probably experiencing right now, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, mental, emotional, uh, we're talking about, um, anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, we could, we could definitely, probably lump into that some circadian disruption as well, because how many of us have changed our sleep schedules? How many of us have, you know, changed our eating patterns or our alcohol intake patterns, or, you know, we could go on and on and on. And then, with, you know, daylight saving. I mean, it, so the list goes on, but um, you guys get the idea in that there are, there are main things that contribute to the activation of this stress response in the more of these uh, factors involved in these four categories that are all at play at the same time, the more it amplifies this stress system in our body. And then we also, instead of getting this acute stress response, we get more of this chronic, we start inching more towards a chronic response. And so I want to preface, you know, cause we talk about stress as being bad, 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 bad. It's actually, it's good right? So stress right. is what we need to survive. And if we didn't have a stress response in our body, we'd be dead, right? So we need to be able to perceive danger. We need, um, we need cortisol to even wake up in the morning. We need adrenaline to get away from that lion or save our kids' lives from riding their bike out into the street when we tell them not to. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> we need those things, right? We need, we need uh, yeah, proper inflammatory signaling. We need the ability to, um, you know, regulate, uh, you know, glucose and insulin and 
all these things that, you know, really help us balance out other processes in our body. So stress is good when we have time to recover and when our body goes through a normal cycle. Stress is bad when it's amplified, when, it's, um, when we get too many strong responses back to back to back to back to back, or when we get this chronic uh, low-grade level of stress that just doesn't resolve and it's just not going away. And, you know, like we said, this four key stressors diagram is really key because it helps us understand how all these other things that maybe we don't always consider as stress triggers really do actually trigger, trigger this system that we may not even realize is activated and that is influencing our entire physiology. Right, man, that was, that was awesome. So what if you think you have all four of these four key stressors? You know, you have perceived stress, you have sleep disruption, um, you're waking up, you know, with, you know, inflamed joints. You know, I literally sprained my ankle uh, two weeks ago in my child's, my three-year-old's toys, like pretty significant sprain. So now I'm stressed because I can't take care of the newborn. I probably have some blood sugar issues. I probably have all four key things, but for anyone who's, you know, just new to this, how, how do you start to know like, Hey, I'm starting to get stressed and are there any tools maybe like heart rate variability or just a glucose or, you know, blood sugar monitors? Like what can we do to, to monitor these or maybe even a sleep monitor? Do you have any suggestions for people at home that they could possibly use that are cheap and affordable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you already have access to a glucose monitor, um, you know, irregular, um, you know, blood sugar rating, especially if you're not diabetic, especially if you're, um, you know, not somebody who struggled with glucose issues. If you see your ratings going, you know, well above a hundred or, you know, dropping into a hypoglycemic range. Well, one thing that that tells you right away is that, um, you know, that's not normal unless of course you're, you're uh, eating a super, you know, high carb meal. And then, you know, that's, so the timing of the measure and all that, but that's definitely a cheap way. HRV, like you said, heart rate variability, um, you know, is, it can be a great measure as well. Um, cortisol testing, uh, salivary cortisol testing can be great. You know, I think one of the cheapest ways, I mean, you could do blood work and check inflammatory levels, whether that's, you know, ESR, CRP, or whether you're testing an inflammatory, inflammatory cytokine or another inflammatory marker, all those things can work. Um, a simple way uh, is you know, journaling. So you can um, simply journal how you're feeling, how you're sleeping, um, you know, how moody or you know, irritated you're feeling on a regular basis. That can be something that is super simple to track. I know that there's really good surveys available too. Um, you could probably Google stress survey and you know, taking that survey on a weekly basis and kind of tracking the responses will also raise your level of awareness of what's actually going on inside your body. So when it comes to the cheapest way to do it, I would say journaling and taking surveys are going to be effective and, and raising that level of awareness that you realize something's off, something needs to change. And if this is something that you really haven't experienced before and it doesn't fit a, uh, a typical response that you've gone through before, that's an indication that there's some stress at play that, you know, maybe you do need some further testing to really dig into. Maybe it is, uh, you know, a, a blood glucose regulation issue. Maybe it is more mental health. Maybe it is more 
um, you know, sleep. And it can kind of point you in one of these four key areas that you really need to work on and improve. So, you know, that's kind of a good, I don't know if, if you want to call it kind of like pyramid or decision tree to, to go down when you think about testing or where to go with this, but start with the simplest things first, right? Start with the cheapest things first. And if you can't find answers or it's pointing you a direction where you need further testing or help from a clinician that specializes in something like this, that would be a great path to go down. But start, start by just journaling for two weeks and see where your head's at. See what your, what your daily patterns tell you about what's normal for you and what's completely abnormal off the charts for you. And I think that's kind of a good good progression to go down, I would say. Man, I love that. Um, And I, I know we need a journal, you know, but I just forget. Right. And, you know, I think journaling helps you keep accountable. There's, you know, you think, Hey, every single day I wake up tired and I wake up with my joints hurt. But then you, you can't really quantify, say, what did I eat the day before? What did I do the day before to do this? But if you're journaling, you can go back and cross check say, Hey, I ate gluten. That's why I'm having this pain or I ate this right a heart you know a high carb meal and i think um i'm probably gonna start journaling after today you know just because we can't remember everything that happens in a certain day and you know certainly with our stressed out brains and all the cortisol that's you know surging <laughs> as it is right now it's you know i think journaling is just one of those great ways to say hey look i'm identifying some ways and then if you identify every single day i'm still having joint pain or i'm still having you know ex- you know excruciating workout soreness and i shouldn't be Maybe it's probably, you know, time to go see a healthcare practitioner and say, Hey, maybe I need to run some tests. If something's not right, I'm journaling this. I know what's going on. But, you know, I think journaling is the great kind of first piece that's affordable. It's cheap. Anyone can do it. You can do it on your iPhone, on your notes section. You can do it in a spiral notebook, whatever, you know, and I think you're going to get a lot of, you know, all these four key stresses. You can manage your sleep, your stress, blood sugar, inflammatory signals, you know, man. That, that's a pearl right there. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the lazy man's way of doing it, and I've done this before, and I'll have people that I work with too, is just take out your phone and snap a picture of what you eat and simply, you know, like you said, you know, whether you're tracking mood or whatever, but um, taking a picture of your food, like you said, being able to recall what you eat, whether it's good, bad, or whatever, just track it. Just, you know, you can go back and, uh, you know, your iPhone or whatever is going to put the date and the time on there and, you'll have your pictures. I've had people just send me their weekly pictures and we'll, we'll use that as their journal and you got to make it as easy as possible too. So if you're making it super complex or you're, um, you know, trying to go through this just really maze of an assessment or something, you're not going to stick with it very long. So in order to actually get through it for a week or two weeks, it's got to be super easy uh, foolproof, make it fun too. I mean, most of us are on our phones anyways, and we're, right. we're taking food pictures anyway. So that's, it's, <laughs> pro- it's probably the easiest, easiest way to track and, uh, you know, get some objective uh, feedback on what, what you're actually putting in your body. Right. And man, I have so many questions now from kind of your exp- explanation of this. And um, just a quick question. Um, I get asked this a lot is for blood sugar regulation. A lot of people will measure their fasting blood glucose right when they wake up. And I've read that there's um, there's a down effect. So sometimes your your blood sugar might be a little bit more elevated because you might have more cortisol, or you should have more cortisol that first kind of zero to sixty minutes, right? And so, do you have any thoughts on the down effect and when people should maybe if they are checking their blood glucose, like what 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 would be the best time to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, so the best time is probably going to be, you know, like you said, closer to uh, mid-afternoon, um, definitely, you know, away from a meal, a couple hours away from a meal at least. But you're exactly right. I mean, if we mapped out, if we look, we took out a diagram of that normal cortisol response in the morning, it's going it, it to climbs first thing in the morning, those first 30 minutes, it's going to be increased because cortisol is an energy releasing uh, you know, hormone. And that's a good thing, right? We need to wake up, we need to get some quick energy going. And uh, we want to be alert. And cortisol definitely helps us do that. And we need that. Um, you know, then it begins to decrease and decline throughout the day. So right around noon, we're going to start seeing that downward decline and slope, or we should, of course, in some people where it's chronically elevated or amplified, it's not going to, you know, be within that normal range or that normal pattern. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good insight. So, and you know, there are studies that show that people with, uh, elevated cortisol responses are going to have, you know, elevated glucose levels because of that. And it can be in a pre-diabetic or diabetic range, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have diabetes. It can be due to this stress response that's going on in your body. So I would completely agree with that. If you're going to go to the, um, you know, the glucose, measurement route, make sure that number one, it's consistently retested at the same time that you originally took that test. Um, and be aware of other hormones involved, other things at play, especially when it comes to stress. And uh, you definitely don't want to test it at a time where it's going to be skewed just by where your cortisol uh, normally should be in the glucose that's going to be released because of that. Right. And I, and I have a couple more questions on that, but I want to kind of go through the four key stressors. And so heart rate variability, we get, I mean, athletes talk about this all the time. You know, I used to measure, you know, my, my heart rate as soon as I woke up and when I was doing competitive triathlons, like I was down to like, I'm not, not even kidding. 25, 27 beats per minute. Wow. Like you I was almost having, a a break, you know, <laughs> Brady cardia, right? So, but my, I was so efficient, you know, my cardiac output, you know, I went to doctors and they're like, no, you know, and I was training pretty hard and I always have had a kind of a bigger body type. But when I was doing all the running and all the cycling and swimming, like it, my heart rate just got down low and it was weird. I would I, honestly, I, I could just be sitting there and I'd fall asleep because wow. my heart rate was so low. But so now, you know, I'm hovering around a 45 and back when I was doing like a lot of competitive CrossFit, I would measure it every day. And if I was 45, 45, 45, the next day I'm 55. I was always told, hey, that day, something's going on with your nervous system. Something's going on with your HPA axis. Today's probably a good day. You should re rest and recover. Is that kind of what you think about heart rate variability, or do you have a different way to, to analyze it? No, I mean, I, I, I am a pro HRV. You know, I, I think it's a great measure. I, um, so I haven't done a deep dive in the research on how HRV exactly correlates with cortisol responses in the body, but I think that there can be some indie, they're both good independent measures on their own and then also together. And so, like you said, HRV, um, you know, for people who are unfamiliar, it's a great, great measure of really your nervous system function and the stress response in your nervous system. And so that doesn't always align with the physiological response of cortisol. Um, so they're not, they're not always going to be both elevated and both indicate that, um, uh, you know, that, that you need to go through this, this period of rest so you can have, 
you know, uh, high cortisol and a lower HRV, and you may get some mixed signals depending on which one you're following or if you're, you're testing both at the same time. Um, but in response to physical task-based uh, stressors, I think HRV actually holds more weight. And I think when it comes to fatigue, um, when it comes to the, the, the physical nature of our body, um, an, an indication that we should rest our body physically, HRV, I think, actually is probably a better measure than cortisol. Um, I think when it comes to perceived stress, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to maybe some of these covert stressors that maybe we're not as aware of because we're not going through a major training cycle or things like that, I think cortisol may actually be, uh, you know, a, maybe a better marker or, you know, biomeasure in that regard. Um, both together, I think both give us a good measure of where the body's at. Um, and, you know, they're not directly correlated or linked or they're not always going to follow a similar pattern. In some circumstances they can and in some circumstances uh, they definitely won't. But I think when it comes to exercise and recovery, you know, HRV can be a great measure in determining, like you said, should this be a heavy day for me? Should this be a long cardio day for me? Should this be a active recovery day for me? Um, HRV, you know, when it's higher, should definitely be more of an active recovery day. Um, and, you know, nervous system you know, function, of course, is driven by, um, you know, sympathetic tone and parasympathetic tone. And uh, if that sympathetic tone is uh, super high, and we're not giving our, our body the chance to rest and digest properly, uh, we're not even going to be absorbing nutrients the right way. So we could, we can wow. overtrain and, and eat a great diet, but we're not even going to get the most out of that diet, right? Because our, our gut is it's not going to be in digest mode like it should for not as long as it should. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many insights. There's so many different things that we could dig into when it comes to that. Um, you know, cortisol as well. Can that be elevated from, you know, excess exercise and things like that? It definitely can be. Um, but does that always hold true? I, I, you know, I'd have to dig further into the research, but that's, it's not always the case. And there's, um, you know, I would say cortisol is more of a measure of, you know, kind of the, the overall four key stressors going on in your body, whereas HRV maybe will cover more of the, um, you know, circadian and kind of that physical, you know, aspects of those, those key stressors. So that's just kind of uh, my observations and a little bit of reading that I've done. I can't say that that's a comprehensive overview or I can't definitely can't pull a study out of my head where I'm like, you know, this is what I would point you guys to go read to follow up on that. Um, but from the little bit that I do remember from what I've read, they're not directly correlated, but they're both, I think, extremely important if you want to really nail down the stress response and recovery aspects of it. Nice, nice. Yeah, so I used to play with the, the Woot Band a lot. Have you heard of those? I'm not as familiar with that one, no. So it's, it's, one, of the, it's one of those bands and it measures your, you know, your heart rate recovery. It's on all day. And uh, I got, I got it for my wife because she's also a chiropractor and she had a couple of patients, you know, that were CrossFitters and they swore that every time their band, you know, showed like it was in the red. So showing, Hey, your heart rate variability is not good today. Like, and they trained anyways, they got hurt. And they're mm. like every single time, like, I don't know if it was like something, a placebo effect that got in their head knowing that. And they trained anyways, but like every time they told me not to train and I trained, 
they went back to my wife to go see her for an injury. And so I just thought that was useful. And, uh, you know, every time I saw it, it was red, I was like, oh, I was like, I got up early to play basketball. Maybe I should like really take an emphasis on my, my, my warmups, my prehab, you know, my foam rolling, all of that stuff before. And so, and I did that, you know, I think it did help cause I'm pretty injury prone myself. So I think it's just another tool in the, in the toolbox for a lot of people who who's like, Hey, I, I don't know if I feel good or not, but my heart rate's telling me, Hey, you're a little stressed out today. Maybe you should take it easy. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- I think it's, I think the best thing that we can do, no matter what route we choose to do is to track and measure. Right. So it doesn't, you know, ultimately uh, if it's HRV or it's cortisol or a combination of both, uh, or it's just simply a survey or a journal, uh, start somewhere and you'll start to notice patterns just like you're talking about. And um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people will track, you know, sleep patterns in a similar way with, you know, HRV devices too. And, um, or, you know, they'll, they'll get an indication of whether they're in REM or non-REM sleep or how long um, each phase. And, uh, but you know, all those things, all those things play a role and you're exactly right. I mean, if your body is not, uh, ready to be as responsive as it, uh, as it should be, you know, your risk of injury is definitely going to go through the roof. And, uh, you'll talk about, you know, extended fatigue and need for recovery. You're going to be setting yourself back for sure. Right. And especially if you're doing something very technical, like CrossFit or high intensity or powerlifting, you know, where the lift is critical to have form, right. Maybe you're a little fatigued, even more fatigued because you're overtrained or tired or stressed, you know, all those things can compound over time. And so, I think a lot of people aren't realizing that. And I think it's, you know, a cheap tool, you know, like journaling that people can do along with the blood glucose. And I want to kind of go over circadian disruption and a lot of people's routines are off. And we know that getting that set routine day in and day out is, is going to be key to having, you know, a healthy circadian rhythm. But what are some ways that, or some tools that you've thought maybe it's blue light blockers or anything else, but what are some tools that people can do that are, you know, the cheap free, you know, turning off the TV at a certain time, only using the bedroom for sleep, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of, you've, you know, already hit on some of those, but it, it really comes down to sleep hygiene. I mean, you could talk about avoiding, you know, stimulants and depressants and, you know, caffeine and alcohol, and I'm never going to give up coffee. I'll be honest. So no matter what, no matter what plan I'm doing, I'm going to have to be drinking my coffee. Um, so if I get a couple hours less sleep, so be it. I got to have my bean water. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, sleep hygiene is so important, so underutilized and undervalued. And um, it's it's hard, though, too, right? So you have young children. Uh, how often are you interrupted throughout the, you know, the course of your night? But, you know, it plays into this whole stress conversation in that, you know, while cortisol is gradually going down later into the the you know, day and evening and night, we want that, right? Because it's, it's this energy helps our body produce energy um, and alertness. Uh, But we want melatonin to start going up. And so like you talked about, things like blue light are going to decrease melatonin production in our body, because it signals that, um, you know, blue light signals to our, you know, through the super, super chiasmic nucleus, that we're actually, um, you know, interacting with daylight or that it is still day outside. And so that's going to set off the signaling to start then elevating cortisol production and decreasing melatonin production. And of course, melatonin is the hormone that we need to start shifting our body into sleep mode. And uh, of course, there's been a lot of, 
recent focus on melatonin for, you know, even helping with, um, you know, the immune system and inflammatory function in our body. But, um, you know, it, it disrupts that whole cycle. Um, and it starts with cortisol, melatonin, um, but some practical things you can do. And I'm sure you guys have read articles on this already is simply shutting off the phone two hours before bed, eliminating screen time two hours before bed, um, you know, turning down the temperature, which I love. I, ca I cannot sleep in a hot room, but, you know, give me like 65 degrees and a fan on and, uh, you know, some little white noise and background noise and I'll be out like a light. So, um, you know, having a routine and it, it, it kind of starts with the routine, I think is the simplest thing to set up. So start with your routine, um, you know, figure out what you need temperature wise. Cooler is typically a little bit better lowering that body temperature. Um, avoiding blue light is definitely good. Um, find out how sensitive you are to caffeine and coffee. And so I'm not going to give up my coffee, but I might cut myself off at two o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you know, and then trying to balance that with the rhythm and the pattern of when your kids go to sleep and things like that. And that of course, that's, that's the uh, million dollar challenge, right? As parents, like if we could just right. get our kids to bed and have, have an hour of alone time with our spouse, uh, that would be amazing, but it doesn't always happen. We don't always, you know, get that, uh, that perfect sleep, but you try to do it the best you can. And, um, you know, really trying to nail down your, you know, your, um, sleep hygiene is, is really the best way to go for sure. What about yourself? Do you have a, a routine or certain things that you're doing to kind of boost your sleep cycle? I did. Well, so for us, we have the three-year-olds. He usually goes to bed around nine. And then we have, we have, me and my wife usually haven't talked to each other all day. And so we, we watch Netflix for an hour. Um, and then we usually wear blue light blockers and then hopefully we go to bed and maybe we'll talk or whatever. Um, so that's the routine. But right now it's, you know, it's, it's all chaotic uh, with the newborn, but and then we have all these shows like Tiger King, uh, the last dance, which I'm really into right now with Michael Jordan. I love him. Oh yeah. My idol. And so, yeah, we, we try to, you know, we try to, obviously I'm very caffeine sensitive. And so I, I will literally like no caffeine past two. Otherwise I will be up. I, I can't work out later in the day or, you know, later in the evening after dinner or I'll be up. So I, I try to wind down either, you know, a shower right before I go to bed or one of those things and always use a blue light blockers. But yeah, last night I was watching Waco. I don't know if you've seen it. The no, we're actually, uh, we're watching uh, Ozarks right now. Oh yeah. Ozarks. Good. So we're, uh, we're like finishing up the first season, but yeah, the last dance, of course, I got to go watch the last episode on that one, but man, Jordan, he's amazing. Yeah. Golly. <laughs> How was his stress response? Do you think he was ever stressed? Uh, you know what? I don't think so ever. I mean, the guy is just like the ultimate competitor and, uh, for all the LeBron James fans out there, I mean, Jordan, I mean, he's the goat, like, let's be honest. Goat, right. I, I don't know. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that, the HP axis, <laughs> but I mean, this guy, if he retired in his prime and then he had to quit because of the last dance, I think, or do you think he would have had at least seven or eight championships? Man, uh, at least. no doubt about it. At right. least, at least. I mean, man. He's the best of all time. He was just I mean, unfazable. Just, you know, his, yeah. his stress response, you know, it didn't matter. No one is going to get in his way. 
you know, physically or mentally. And, you know, he shot free throws with his eyes closed. So, I mean, if there's anyone to kind of model, <laughs> not model after for, for that, it's, it's MJ for sure. Um, so, so back to kind of the stress responses. I want to, I hear a lot and I get, and I still get questions a lot is adrenal fatigue, adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. My adrenals are tired. They're worn out. Um, and we know that's not true, you know, based on today's literature. Can you kind of like just go over what the HPA axis system is? Maybe go over that picture and, show people who are watching on, on video the signaling pathways and kind of why it's more than just the adrenal fatigue complex that people talk about? Yeah, so I mean, adrenal fatigue is a little bit misleading in that we hyper-focus on the adrenal glands and we really miss all the other things that influence hypothalamic function, right? So it really, the stress response, it's not just in the kidneys. So that's where the, the adrenal glands sit on top of the kidneys and you know, they're important. Um, they, they definitely play a role in the secretion of the stress hormones like we, like we talked about with, you know, cortisol and then also adrenaline. Um, however, you know, they're not, they, they don't really take in, um, you know, they're not the primary organ of this stress response. They're, they're kind of the last end of that pathway that we talked about. So this probably isn't the greatest diagram. Um, however, I think we can talk about it a little bit in that, you know, stress, once again, it starts in the hypothalamus. Um, From there, we really have a release of another signaling hormone um, down to the pituitary gland. And, you know, from there, that's where we get the signaling down to our um, adrenal gland. So when people use the term adrenal fatigue, so we've talked about, you know, this amplified stress response on kind of the front half of this. And that's like this this, um, you know, hyper, almost like excitable state, almost like this state where you're wired and you can't sleep, but maybe you're still feeling tired. So like a wired and tired type response in the body. When we talk about adrenal fatigue, we're really talking about someone who is kind of burnt out. So they're, they're almost the opposite where they've been in this amplified response for so long that that hypothalamus is pumping out those signals to then go down to the pituitary gland to then go you know down and and send that cascade and that signaling all the way down to the adrenal gland but we're kind of tapped out on that metabolic reserve is the best way that i would put it so instead of adrenal fatigue think of emptying those those barns that are full of all those all that food that we're going to store right to keep our our farm going, our operation going, we're completely wiped out and depleted and we have no gas left in the tank, so to speak. So it's not really an issue with the adrenal gland. It's the whole process along the way. So it's, it's the four key stressors, right? So we can go back to that diagram and we start to evaluate where do we start in this picture? What, where's the first place that you as an individual needs to start working on? Where's the lowest hanging fruit? What's the cheapest way to attack this? And then we start going down the line and tackling each of these four areas. Um, but it's really, it's a really, it's, it's kind of misleading in that, you know, adrenal fatigue for the longest time. Um, and so symptomatic wise, before I get into that, symptomatic wise, what we'll see in a person who has adrenal fatigue is maybe more towards depression, um, fatigue, obviously lack of energy, lack of motivation, Um, you just don't have, you know, maybe you have some ambition, but you just don't have that energy to get up and go anymore or pursue that goal 
or that, that drive that you once had before. And you just know that there's, you know, exercise is not solving your, your stress problem anymore. Um, that extra cup of coffee is not really doing it for you anymore. In fact, you feel worse when you drink the coffee, you feel worse when you, when you try to get an intense workout in. Um, so those are some symptoms of what people may coin or term as adrenal fatigue. But what it really comes back to is you just have no gas in the tank from a nutrient standpoint, from a hormone production standpoint. When I say hormones, I'm talking about hormones along that entire cascade, not just what our adrenal gland uh, puts out as an end result. Love it. Love it. Um, so like someone who's having those symptoms and there's, you know, they're super tired in the morning. They have no motivation. When they work out really hard, like they said, it's been like three days. Hey, I need to work out really hard. I'm just going to go all out since I haven't worked out in a while. Then they feel terrible the next day. Um, would you say that testing is, uh, is beneficial at that point? You know, getting your stress hormones, like maybe looking at your cortisol awakening response. Would you say at that point, it's, you know, Hey, maybe I should test this out. Maybe I should, you know, seek out counsel from a provider, maybe a functional medicine provider to get on some key nutrients. And can you also Abs talk about maybe some of those? I know you've written some blog posts about this. Can you maybe talk about some of the, uh, some of the nutrients that have helped with, you know, the stress response? And then we're going to talk about diet here in a second. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, there's a, there's a ton of nutrients that you, you know, could take and a ton of research on things that definitely help, um, you know, in that regard. But when it comes to, you know, somebody who, if you've had someone, you know, tell you you have adrenal fatigue, or you've read a blog, and you said, you know what, that's what I have, I have adrenal fatigue. Um, I think it is important to be evaluated. It's important to really dig into where you should start with this. Um, and it's, it's different from person to person, right? So you and I, if we both had adrenal fatigue, or we were in this, you know, state of, um, you know, just not having any extra motivation or energy from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we need to start evaluating. Cause this, this is a chronic long-term issue that's been going on, right? It's not just, we can just sleep this thing off. This is something that's been going on for years. And this is kind of the culmination of all these compounding effects that have taken place. So we really do need an evaluation. We need to know, um, you know, what is our cortisol production? We need to know uh, how is our nervous system functioning? And then we can start to implement some of those behavior changes that need to take place. And from, an, from a uh, nutrient, you know, perspective, there's so many things that you can do that will help you improve your sleep, that will help you, um, you know, with your cortisol response. And, you know, for, for people that are in that um, adrenal fatigue state, it may not be, um, you know, lowering cortisol, but it may just be, um, you know, I need more B vitamins to help with, you know, hormone production, um, even in the hypothalamus, or I need more vitamin C. So vitamin C actually helps uh, every time we have an adrenaline release, our body releases a ton of vitamin C. And it just goes to show that it's, it's highly correlated with that stress response, but it helps our body deal with that even from a, you know, inflammation perspective, but just, um, you know, being able to deal with stress. So, I mean, you could go down the line, vitamin C, vitamin D, um, you know, all these different things. And, and, you know, one category of nutrients that I think are really key are adaptogens. And they're a little bit, you know, probably not as, as popular or talked about because they're, they do so many different things in the body. And so some things that come to mind, um, you know, maybe ashwagandha or 
Bacopa. Um, I mean, you could probably help me out, but there's just, there's a, there's a laundry list of all these different things that we can take, uh, phosphatidylserine. Um, I know one that, uh, I recently have started taking does have, uh, Bacopa in it. It does have ashwagandha in it. Um, it does also have, um, phosphatidylserine and a little bit lower dose. And so those three together for me, I would say have large, and not that I have, you know, adrenal fatigue or anything like that, but I would say that I was, I was at a point where I had a couple weeks in a row where I would wake up at two in the morning and be wide awake, just like I drank a cup of coffee. And that's not good. Like I, I, I want to get my sleep. I want to be ready to go the next day. But within a couple of weeks of taking this, this was actually new adapt that I started taking. Um, I was able to get right back on my sleep cycle and I was getting a solid seven hours of sleep. I wasn't waking up, you know, groggy or tired. And, you know, some of these things that people take over the counter, you don't really know what you're taking, but it says sleep on the bottle. So you right. just take it and you're, wiped out or just lethargic and you need extra coffee to kind of get up and get going. This product really didn't do that for me. It, it just smoothed things out, balanced things out. And actually I'm not taking it right now because I'm back on track, but I have it ready and available. And within a couple of days, it gets me right back where I need to go. Um, nice. But yeah, what jog my memory. What are some other, uh, I know I'm missing a ton of them, but what are some of the other major adaptogens that come to mind when you're thinking about things that will balance that, that, um, adrenal fatigue type patient. Yeah. I, I was just saying of RSC, you know, rhodiola, yep. Sandra, you, I can never say that word. Um, you, you reach the throw or <laughs> or Siberian ginseng. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and I've heard, I've heard that people have actually eaten adrenal glands and because of the high amount of vitamin C content, have you ever heard of that? Um, yeah, you know, and I, I think the, the research on some of the glandulars, you know, I, I don't know um, how high quality or, you know, I, I can't really comment too much on that. But yeah, maybe it's more of the nutrients in the adrenal and in, in the glandulars that's actually offering some of that benefit. Um, but yeah, I mean, is that appropriate for some people if, if they're getting results or have taken a product with that in the past, then absolutely uh, keep taking that. But um, you know, when it comes to a glandular, what I would recommend for people is that they really consult a uh, clinician, somebody that has the ability to test and then retest and reevaluate and help them navigate some of those changes that are going on in their body. Um, and then also navigate the response to that product as well. Because, you know, like we said, it may not be, there's, there's other options out there, but you have to figure out what your body responds best to. And, you know, if, if you're not really sure what it's doing to your body or, or what you should be looking for in a response, you really should have a clinician that's familiar with the science of those studies and uh, what to look for in response to that to help you navigate that change as well. Right. And, and I love that, you know, it's, it all goes back to, you know, test, don't guess so many, there's so many over the counter supplements today that say sleep or energy or this or that. And you, and you really just, you gotta, you gotta know what you're doing. You gotta be able to, you know, decipher a label, look at minerals, but also look at the type of minerals. You need to know what fillers are in there. And, um, I, I like that you mentioned that product new adapt. Do you, so you take new adapt before you go to bed. 
Is that so I'll take mean? it. Yeah. So the, the thing that I really like about it is I don't have to load up on a lot of capsules. It's a two capsule dose to get to the full strength of it. Um, when I take it is usually when I start my kind of wind down routine for, for going to sleep. And so if my goal is I want to be asleep by 10 o'clock, I'll take the two caps at eight o'clock. Um, for me, I'll always take, I'll, I'll just take like a, a little handful of nuts or something with a little bit of fat just to help with absorption a little bit. Not that you have to, but just to avoid any, uh, you know, any potential absorption issues. Um, but with that one, I do. Um, just to ensure the absorption, but within, you know, I would say an hour, hour and a half, it's been absorbed. I can actually feel it start to work and my body goes into this calming and relaxing state. And as long as I'm not, you know, going overboard on the, um, you know, being on my phone or screen time or things like that, I can, you know, nail down my routine. I know exactly when I'm going to fall asleep and it's just, it's, that alone is like an anxiety reducer for <laughs> right. me. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I know I'm going to be asleep by 10. I know I'm going to get X amount of hours of sleep. I can wake up and knock out this workout in the morning because I know I'm going to be fresh and ready to go. And it really, it helps me set up my whole week. And, you know, it's, it's great. I love being able to have that confidence in my sleep routine because it just, it sets up the rest of the day. So, but that's, that's been my, my product champ, if you will, and something that's, um, you know, helped me just normalize my sleep. And I would say, you know, stress response in general. And I, I didn't test, but you know, I've been paying attention to how I feel when I sleep, how I feel when I wake up, what my response has been throughout the day, as far as, you know, energy highs and lows and kind of that two o'clock feeling. I don't need my five hour energy. I can back off on my coffee and I still am awake and alert um, and ready to go throughout the afternoon. And that's been, that's been really a game changer for me, I would say. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I've never, I, I take that product as well, but I, I take it in the car. And so it's one of those products okay. that I, I get a lot of time anxiety, you know, running from appointment to appointment. So I'm like, if I'm late or if I'm in traffic, something's altering the course of my day, I literally will take two. And I don't know if it's placebo or not, Dr. Frank, but I, uh, I feel relief in about 30 minutes. I, I don't know. <laughs> So that's awesome. That's one of the that's products cool. I take. I also take a DHEA sometimes, you know, cause that helps balance cortisol. But of course I've been to a provider, I've gotten this tested. And so we're not saying just take this, you know, without getting some direction and some guidance. What was your, I'm actually curious. What was your, uh, your, what did your pattern look like? If you could kind of map it out with, you know, the, <laughs> the normal versus, uh, where you were at. Yeah. So, um, I've, it's weird. I've done two, I've done two and probably in the, like within a year, the first time I was good, you know, I, I didn't really have too much stress. The second time I'd really ramped up a lot of uh, work activity and you could see it in my, uh, my first 60 minutes of cortisol. I was like super high, like through the roof high, but then I crashed. It was like, I woke up screaming, you know? So it was, <laughs> I was like, wow. And then, it, you know, really showed like my adrenals were tanking and weren't producing enough cortisol. So I, I need to, probably should meditate, you know, take more time to myself, you know, get outside more, get better sleep, you know, probably journal. And uh, so, yeah, I need, I need to work on it. I am taking a few adrenal products like we mentioned to help with that. But um, yeah, my, my adrenals, I was surprised that it had changed that much over the course of six months, which was interesting. 
Well, I mean, you look at like where you're at right now with, you know, family and life situation too. And um, I think anticipating another child on the way and, you know, all the things that come with that too, that, you know, I think that anticipatory stress can also play a role. And on top of the, you know, increased workload and everything else going on in life too. Right. Right. So exactly. absolutely. But yeah. Yeah. I think I'm probably gonna do a video over my Dutch results just so everyone can kind of see. Um, and I'll kind of, you know, link to that later. But, um, so I want to talk, I don't, I know we don't have too much time, but I want to talk about diet with you because you did a fantastic webinar on keto and I'm not saying everyone has, everyone has to go keto, but during these times, like what everyone is, you know, doing these different diets or fads or, you know, what is just a solid, you know, I guess foundational, you know, regimen that people can do. Is it time restricted eating? Is it intermittent fasting? Is it adhering to more of a low carb type lifestyle? Can you kind of go through some, some different diets for different types of people? And I know you have, yeah. you have a ton of recipes on your website as well, which we'll link to later, but can you, yeah, just please explain it for us. Yeah. Um, you know, when it, when we talk about stress and we talk about diet, you know, a few things to be aware of. So the stress response in our body, um, especially when we have elevated cortisol, once again, we go back to what's the, what's the purpose of it when it's released in a stress type response is to help us adapt and survive. Well, once again, our body goes into this, you know, storage mode, right? So we retain more water, we go into um, energy storage mode, which means that our body does actually um, turn more energy, whether that comes from a carb source or a fat source into fatty tissue. And it's really interesting, I actually did read a recent study where you know, unfortunately, where most of that fat is deposited is around our hips and our waist. And so it's all in the places where we don't want it. And we get kind of that spare tire effect that starts to take place. Um, but the other really interesting thing is in the, the hunger signaling that takes place, um, especially in conjunction with um, the stress response, but then in conjunction with, you know, carbohydrate uh, intake. And so when we have high carb intake, um, we actually start to, you know, mess up those hunger signals in our body. And so the two main hormones that we talk about when we talk about like food craving and, and fullness and satiety signaling in our body is leptin and ghrelin. And, um, you know, another thing about cortisol too, is it can actually slow down our metabolism over the long run. And we can actually start to burn less calories over time with elevated cortisol. So we're storing more, we're burning less, and then we're also throwing off our hunger and fullness signaling that's taking place um, with leptin and ghrelin. So ghrelin is really this hunger hormone and you know it's producing our gut and it basically signals uh, to our brain that like we're ready to eat. So before we eat, you know, ghrelin is off the charts high. Because it, you know, and that's a good thing. Like we want it to be high. Um, after we eat, it begins to decrease, and you know that's also a good thing. Um, but when we, you know, and that signals obviously we don't need any more food. But when we eat a high carb diet, it influences that ghrelin or hunger signaling, and it doesn't really lower it to the same level that a high fat diet does or a high protein diet does. Um, you know, and so that's really interesting. And you think about some of those cravings that we get when we're stressed out, it's not for, uh, maybe it's for some high fatty food, but really it's like the bad, it's a fried stuff. It's the comfort food. It's the, it's the high reward, you know, food that we crave. Um, 
but that really, but we also crave sweets as well. We want those things that once again, give us immediate feel good responses. And, but that's not good for our hunger signaling. That's not good for our satiety signaling. And, you know, leptin on the other side kind of balances out, um, you know, that fullness or satiety signaling as well. And high carb diets influence that type of signaling as well. So my recommendation would be that you lean more towards a lower carb diet. Now, does that mean you have to eat keto? It doesn't. But should it be something that maybe you want to try or should consider, um, you know, depending on where your health status is at, you know, you may or may not need a clinician to kind of oversee that and how that, how that goes, especially if there's, you know, insulin and medication and, you know, metformin and things like that involved. But um, I would say it's worth a shot just to try, maybe try it for four to six weeks or eight weeks and see what your response is. Some people respond poorly. Some people respond very favorably. Um, but one thing that keto does is it obviously helps to balance out some of that hunger signaling significantly. Um, the carve craving cravings for some people when they go first go keto can be off the charts, you know, just really hard to deal with. But I would say as a general rule in, you know, for everyone who is under stress and wants to, you know, kind of balance that out, a general rule would be decrease your carb intake by about 25%. Doesn't have to be keto, doesn't have to be this, you know, Atkins diet or low carb, but just try to decrease carb intake overall by about 25%. And by doing that, you're going to have to be more selective on the carbs that you do choose. So they're going to have to be more high fiber carbs, more complex carbs, more fruits and vegetables, as opposed to I'm going to use up most of my carbs on this donut or this muffin or these things that really, really mess with some of those hunger signals that we just talked about. Um, so if I had to pick one diet and I would say, you know, follow this as a template for people that are stressed out, I would say more towards a Mediterranean or a paleo diet to be on the safe side and kind of meet the middle ground where most people are at in a good template just to follow or shoot for. And I would say that will give you the nutrient density that you need, um, a decent amount of fat, very low processed carbs in general, and you know, an abundance of you know, protein and other, other raw materials that we need to really get into you know, proper stress responses, um, you know, health, and, and fruits and vegetable density that's that's good for the gut and uh, you know everything else that that sets you up for so there's a, a lot of a lot of really interesting things when it comes to diet and you know along the keto lines you know intermittent fasting kind of falls into that same category where some people respond very favorably to intermittent fasting and so when I say intermittent fasting I'm, there's there's a few different uh, definitions that people use some people may use them interchangeably with time restricted uh, eating. But in general, what most people are talking about when they're talking about intermittent fasting is fasting. So no food intake for 12 to 16 hours a day. And so what that means is that you're giving yourself a window of eating uh, eight hours to maybe 12 hours uh, maximum per day. And when it comes to intermittent fasting, some people jump right and well and there's other styles too so you could fast one day a week completely no food or two days a week completely no food so there's some different styles out there and definitions that people may use correctly or incorrectly but uh, what i would say is if you're going towards intermittent fasting there's a lot of really good research on it start out 
on the easier side of things. Don't jump into an extreme fast. Don't jump into a two-day fast if you've never done it before. Don't jump into 16 hours a day of fasting if you've never done you know, any, any sort of fasting before. You're, most likely it's going to be a, an extreme response, maybe something that's uncomfortable or actually increases the cortisol response in your body. And you might find out you don't respond very well to that at all. So as a rule of thumb, ease into it. Um, follow a simpler guideline, something that's um, not as strict to adhere to in the beginning and you know, make it fun so then you actually keep doing it and uh, you don't end up stressing yourself out more in the process of uh, doing that. So that's kind of a super long-winded answer to your question, but there's just there's so much there to kind of unpack and dig into. Oh, oh, I know. And um, <laughs> for anyone listening to this, I've linked to, uh, to Dr. Frank's complete keto webinar on my YouTube channel. Go and check that out. It's fantastic. And so for me personally, intermittent fasting, you know, I, I haven't done it my whole life. You know, I've heard about it, heard about it, heard about it from all the, you know, practitioners and bloggers out there. And, and I always needed, like, I always thought I needed to have that meal first thing when I wake up. I need to have protein, 30 grams protein, you know, be, you know, between zero and 30 minutes. That's what I did. And so now, you know, I'm finding that my schedule is a little bit more relaxed. I don't need to eat till 12. And I, and I do have my coffee. Sometimes I put in, you know, maybe some heavy whipping cream or half and half. And, and I just, and I wonder, does that break my fast? Dr. Frank, I've heard, you know, conflicting evidence. What, what are your thoughts on how do people do intermittent fasting wrong? Am I, and am I doing it wrong? Um, you know, it, it may depend on what source you're looking into or who you're talking to. Like you said, you know, I mean, technically when you are feeding, um, when you are consuming uh, macronutrients, uh, you, technically that would be breaking a fast. However, when it's a you know fat source, um, you know that may not bring you out of a uh, quote unquote fasted state. And so when we're talking about fasted state, what we're really referring to is a ketogenic state or your body's ability to produce ketones as opposed to consuming glucose for energy. So you can look at it a couple different ways, depending on what definition you're going with. Are we, are we talking about ketosis or are we really truly talking about fasting, right? Because fasting is truly um, removing food. And then ketosis is a metabolic state where your body is actually producing ketones. So, um, you know, if we look at kind of best practices with intermittent fasting, there was a, and I don't have the, the author of the journal right off the tip of my tongue, but I know there was, um, there's been probably multiple studies that have been done in this area. But when we talk about biological clocks in our body, we talk about timing of day, you know, going back to circadian rhythm, when our digestive enzymes are at their highest, when our stomach acid secretion is at our highest, our salivary enzymes are at their highest, it's really earlier on in the day. And so you, you think about maybe the best window to practice your fasting or, um, you know, remove feeding would be later in the day, especially in the evening. Um, and, you know, once again, doesn't mean that everyone should eat this huge breakfast. And, um, you know, if you, if you don't eat this breakfast or you, you skip breakfast, you're doing it wrong, not necessarily. So there's so many different dynamics involved. Like you said, you know, did that work better for your schedule? Absolutely. You know, did that help you get out the door and get on with your morning routine more quickly? Absolutely. So, you know, for you waiting until 10, 
or you know 10 a.m. or noon. That is just that's just a better overall strategy, and that's that's what works best for your workday. Um, but I would say that you know to you know really understand what boundaries you're putting on your in, intermittent fasting routine and what that what that actually means in terms of um, you know what's what's happening in your body. So if if you're if you if you say you're you're fasting 12 hours a day but you're actually consuming nutrients macronutrients 14 hours a day it can kind of give you this false sense of security that that you're doing this really good thing for your body so then therefore you can like overconsume later on in the day or on the weekend or kind of you know lulling yourself into this false sense of security so i would say for people that are going to try this try to stick to you know a strict fasting time period when you're going to, when you set that up, whether that's 12 hours or 10 hours or, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, easing in towards that maybe 14 to 16 hour fast or whatever it may be, but, um, really try to adhere to that removal of food. Um, and then maybe for the more advanced crowd, then you could play around with more of the metabolic state, right? More of that you know, I'm in, I know I'm in ketosis because I fasted for 16 hours. I'm going to introduce a source of fat because I know that because I've depleted my source of glucose, my body's going to be utilizing fat as fuel. Therefore, when I take in that fat, I know that it's going to be turned into um, ketones. And, um, you know, I have to worry about that fat being stored as fat as much. Um, but I would say for the, the beginners, try to stick to that's that strict regimen of, um, you know, whatever you, whatever you set up for yourself in the beginning. Nice. And so I mean, tying it into stress and anxiety, would you say do whatever is the least stressful for you? If, if you enjoy making breakfast and you enjoy making eggs or whatever the case may be, would you say, keep doing that? You know, like do whatever is, if it's stressing you out not to make eat breakfast, would you say still eat breakfast? If it's you know stressing you out to make breakfast, would you say maybe try intermittent fasting? You know, do you see see what I'm trying to say here? Is you know make it as easy on your body and on your schedule to help with your stress and anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you have to make it easy. Um, otherwise, we just know that you know, we're, we're not going to stick with it. I mean, we can endure tough things for a short amount of time or things that are not enjoyable for a short amount of time. But over the long run, if we really want to set ourselves up for long-term success, we have to make it fun. We have to make it as easy as possible. Um, and, you know, that may fluctuate and change over the, the season of life. It may change with your job. It may change with, you know, the age of your children and uh, the food prep that goes involved with feeding your family and other things like that. So there, there are things to consider. And, um, you know, if, if you're the one that's responsible for breakfast in the morning for your family and the easiest and quickest way for you to accomplish that is to make a, a dozen eggs and then you're out of the house with your four or five and you, you know, leave the rest of your family or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you have to, you have to consider all those things and, you know, just because a elite, you know, expert level doctor, podcaster, YouTuber, whatever, talks about one specific method, it doesn't always mean that that's what you need to start out doing. So, you know, once again, I always go back to, it's always good to have a clinician or a coach, somebody for, you know, from an outside 
perspective, get another set of eyes on things and help you kind of think clearly. Because sometimes we're cruising in our car, we're listening to that podcast, we get motivated, we're inspired, we're like, okay, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going in all the way. And we jump in to the deep end of that pool, not knowing how to swim yet. And then before we know it, we're we're calling for help to get out, right? And we're, we're never going to go back and try that again because that was a traumatic experience. Well, it doesn't always have to be that way. We can kind of dip our toe in the water, understand what we're getting into before we, we dive in, learn how to swim, learn how to you know, navigate the deep end of the pool before we get there. And that will set us up to enjoy the experience for the long term and hopefully stick with it for the long term because ultimately that's the goal. I mean, it's fun to experiment, but ultimately if we want to get the – the results from intermittent fasting, just like everything else, we have to adhere to that long term. And that's really where, you know, we see the, um, you know, progression that we see with these miraculous cases with diabetes and insulin, you know, resistance and, um, you know, chronic health conditions really make those changes. It takes years, it takes years to make those changes. And there's going to be ups and downs along the way, but we got to make it as easy as possible for ourselves as well. Nice. I love that. I love that explanation. And is I've heard, you know, some people is like severe hormonal issues, maybe severe HPA axis dysfunction. Sometimes I've heard that maybe intermittent fasting might not be beneficial for them because, you know, it, the extreme spikes in blood sugar, the extreme spikes in cortisol. Do you have any thoughts on where intermittent fasting may be uh, not indicated? Yeah. You know, I would say if somebody is already, you know, running in that, and this is where, once again, it comes in handy to know kind of what your cortisol pattern is and where you're currently at. Um, so whether that's a diurnal test or a, you know, cortisol awakening response, you know, where are you at? Like you said, your, your initial response was you would shoot up first thing in the morning. Well, you know, is that really the best time then for you to, um, you know, be in a fasted state? If that, if you find that also contributes to an elevation in cortisol, maybe not, right? Maybe you're a person that should consider adding um, some more fat and protein within that window to help regulate that response and, and decrease that cortisol output. So you're exactly right. For some people, a fasted state can be a stressor on the body. And of course, you know, anytime we, we encounter that stress response, um, we can get a cortisol release, we can get an adrenaline release, uh, you know elevation of heart rate variability or whatever that um, measure is that we're looking for. But um, yeah, I mean, it can definitely cause a, an elevation in cortisol. And of course, that can cause some blood glucose dysregulation as well. For some people, it may be increase of blood glucose. Most of the time that happens with the elevated cortisol response. And then as we're coming down, like you said, you know, kind of that crashing um, response that we get, we can get a hypoglycemic response or a decrease in blood glucose. So it really, um, for some people, it may take a little bit of trial and error to really hammer that out and find out what works best. Um, but it's, it's good to be aware of that side effect as well. And I know for myself, when I've done intermittent fasting in the past, I would get into, you know, for the first 10 hours, I was solid. And similar to you, I would kind of skip breakfast and right about 10, 11 o'clock in the morning is when I would start to eat my first meal. Well, I would hit my 10 o'clock mark and I would start to get jittery and, you know, get a little bit of uh, brain fog and, and inability to focus. And I just, I had to break it and I, ha I had to go eat so I could, you know, 
respond properly in a meeting or on a call or, you know, focus and get, get that, you know, our productivity back. Um, so I, I just found that I had to get something in. And for me, it was a snack of, you know, some mixed nuts, you know, cashews, macadamia nuts, um, you know, pistachios, some of the healthier nuts, but I had to get something and it was more high fat, maybe lower protein, but it was enough that where it kind of calmed that response for me a little bit. So, but yeah, it is good to be aware of that. There are some people that they go through that and they don't experience that at all and they're completely fine and um, they can push through it. And then there are other people who, you know, maybe like myself or yourself that, um, maybe we do need a little bit of a snack, um, you know, before we get some of those other, you know, carbs and things introduced into our diet. Love it. Love it. So just to kind of recap for everyone listening, we talked about a lot of things, but it really just boils down to, to managing stress. We talked about blood sugar regulation. We talked about sleep. We talked about perceived stress. We talked about inflammation. Um, we talked about some ways to measure that with heart rate variability, with blood sugar. We also talked about blue light blockers. We talked about maybe meditation for the perceived stress. But really the simplest thing you mentioned today was journaling and just, you know, making that, that taking that time to journal how you feel after you eat, after you sleep, after you exercise, when your mood's down, when your mood's up. Am I missing anything, Frank? Do we, do we cover, you know, everything that we, we should tell everyone to optimize their health today or I think we covered everything and then some. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and you know, we covered a ton, right? So we kind of did a crash course from top to bottom. And yeah, I mean, I think you hit the the nail on the head, like start with the simplest thing. And, um, you know, if you have already gone that route, you know, what's your next step? And if you need some help with that, you know, I'm sure, you know, Dr. Fredrickson or somebody like myself, we can help point you in the right direction or help you ourselves and uh, we obviously we have access to so many different resources and we could definitely help you guys take that next step. Right. And if you're looking for a provider near you, you know, we have access to providers all over America that we can help you with. If you're looking for one-on-one care from either one of us, we can help with that. But um, Dr. Frank, thank you so much today for, for all this information. And I know you have a lot more to say and I, I would actually love to do another, you know, a talk, another probably a couple of talks with you on various aspects. I'm I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of questions today from these. So could you just quickly just tell people like where they can find you, other helpful information as far as you maybe your Instagram, your Facebook, and of course all your blog posts that you do are are fantastic. Yeah, for sure. So um, like you said before, I started what's called The Nutrient Fix and you know that's just my platform. Um, I am on uh, Instagram, I am on Facebook. Um, I you know also do have the website where, you know, you can download nutrition plans and you can, you know, look into supplements and things like that. So I do one-on-one coaching. I also do group classes. Um, Another thing that I would like to do in the future is actually work with more clinicians and help them, you know, tailor, you know, presentations, educational material to help educate their patients. That's something that I'm just really passionate about. I'm finding that uh, I think I have a heart for education. I just, really enjoy digging into a topic and teaching and helping clinicians um, really master that too as well. Because I think the more that we can help patients and the more that we can help clinicians teach their patients what is actually going on in their body from a physiological standpoint, what they can do about it from a lifestyle medicine and functional medicine standpoint, it really helps empower them uh, to make some changes. And that's really where 
you know, that's, you know, seeing that light turn on in the patient's eyes is just, you know, that's, that's really where that passion comes from and where that reward, I think for both of us, that's, that's what we love doing. So, um, but yeah, you know, connect with me on Instagram, um, connect, connect with me on uh, Facebook. I'm going to try to do some more free webinars. I don't have one uh, specifically laid out coming up um, right now, but I am going to talk a little bit about allergies coming up and uh, histamine intolerance and, you know, mast cell degranulation, a little bit of that since we're getting into allergy season. Um, I will continually touch on stress and anxiety and then, um, you know, stay tuned for more upcoming topics as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Just, just for clinicians listening. And of course, every person listening today is whenever I have a question, I reach out to Dr. Frank because the answers you give me, they're not just like you've Googled something like you've already looked into this previously, but you give me like the research articles, the step-by-step. And it, I mean, it's just so helpful and rewarding when I go out and talk to other clinicians. I mean, if any clinician is looking to collaborate with you on a blog post on, on a video or whatever the case may be on, like reach out to Dr. Frank. I mean, he is going to help you out more than you could ever, ever know. And he's so passionate about the subject guys that you're missing out. If you haven't looked at his website, looked at his meal plans. I mean, you have, you have meal plans for what was the thing you offered? It was like a $7 meal plan and the $21 meal plan. Mm -hmm. Can you go over that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for the keto webinar that I just did, so I have pre-made meal plans. And so, I mean, they're, you know, basically comes down to a dollar a day. If you just wanted to try keto for a week, I have a seven day plan that you can go and purchase and download today. And for the next week, you have all your meals, all your recipes, your shopping list, um, everything is laid out and done for you. Um, you know, and then there's a 21 day plan, just the same. So that's the $21, uh, plan, but then I can also customize that as well. So I have a program that allows me to customize those plans. If you need more calories, more protein, um, you know, something doesn't agree with you from a food intolerance standpoint, we can swap out or change the recipe for you. Of course it does cost a little bit more, but that option is available. And, uh, I've had a few people take me up on that already and they're, they're on their way. There's also with my keto plans right now, I'm offering a keto guide. And so if you're starting the keto diet and you're completely green and you don't know where to go, where to get started, this walks you through everything. Some of the frequently asked questions, how to test to make sure that you're actually in ketosis, um, kind of re, you know, removes any, um, hesitation that you may have just because you don't really understand what's going on. But, it covers pretty much everything I, I covered in my webinar, but it's just a great resource to go along with the diet plan and really get you on your way and get you going. Love it. Love it. And I actually have that keto guide guys. And um, it's just like Dr. Frank does. It's very information packed. You're going to learn a lot from it. You're probably gonna have to read it more than once. Um, and if you ever wanted to try keto, you know, I would definitely look at this guide first. And so Dr. Frank, thanks again for your help today. Uh, I look forward you know, possibly doing this in a couple of weeks. I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of questions today. And if anyone listening is interested in health, interest, interest, uh, interested in optimizing, you know, total health optimization, you know, that's what we're all about. We love this. We, we love this, you know, this subject. We love nutrition. We love helping people get better. So if you're interested in that, subscribe to our, to our uh, podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, we're going to have links to all of this later on social media. My Instagram is Fredrickson Health Solutions. Dr. Frank's is the Nutrient Fix. So thank you again for listening. It's a good Saturday. That's why I have my sunglasses on. So hopefully everyone goes outside 
and uh, get some vitamin D. And thank you again, guys, for joining with us today for this stress and anxiety talk. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Fredrickson. All right, my pleasure. Have a great day, Dr. Frank. All right, thank you.